Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are very grateful for your word. We're grateful for the minds that you have given man. We're able to uh, process what your prophets have said, what your apostles have said, what your son has said, what you have said. We'd ask that you would bring us on our knees before it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. It's been about four years since I was in Galatians, I think. Um, and Galatians is one of my favorite books. Uh, Paul getting all muscular on people. Um, he calls people idiots, which is right up my alley. I think my translation says foolish Galatians, but the word is idios. And he's fighting in Galatians for the truth of the gospel. Gentile Christians in Galatia had been led astray by some Judaizers, and Paul was going to battle with them over the sacredness of the gospel. Now, I wanted to look at the first chapter of Galatians um, on that subject, just to, not because it, we could cover all the things that we'd touch upon, but um, there was something that jumped out at me for our own measuring of how we deal with the gospel. Not this church is measuring how we deal with the gospel, but how you and each of us deal with the gospel. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. It's one of those moments if you ever had, if, you, if your life reaches back to hippie days and the, the Jesus People Church and one of their basic desires was to have a church like the New Testament church. And you go, nah, yeah, yeah, you don't want that. Because even in the first century, even with the apostle writing you a letter, being your pastor for a while, in Ephesus, he was there for three years, you have people deserting the gospel of Jesus Christ and astonishing the apostle in the process. I'm astonished. How quickly. What do we, when that happens with apostles standing around, we sometimes wish, couldn't there just be a list of books uh, written by the, the people who are the most right? Just a list of books like a curriculum, as it were. A curriculum of the faith that you could sit down and read it. Hold it, there is. And for 2,000 years, Christians have mucked it up. They've destroyed the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they will frame it in words like that in verse 4. 
Um, to whom, verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I could put the name Apollo in front of that. And people would start thinking specially of Apollo. We know that religious talk is sometimes the only signal we have that we're dealing with spiritual stuff. But Paul wants to claim there in verse 1, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. His apostleship is not from men nor through men. And then we've created a Christianity in the last 2,000 years that every appointment is through man, through an institution. Oh, to be safe to be accountable. Oh, you have a lot of reasons. I was uh, talking with a Christian friend out of this church. A real eager Christian wanted to be ministering to people and he was wanting to visit the jail to visit prisoners in jail. And uh, which I think is a commendable thing to do. It's like helping an old lady across the street. I mean, it's really Boy Scout-level Christianity. Going to the jail at the top of the hill here and visiting with prisoners as a Christian. And he had to get permission from his church. And that started to bother him. <laughs> like, what do you mean, permission from my church? I'm doing what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. We have all sorts of reasons, institutional, personal, philosophical reasons to not have the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ touch us the way Paul wanted it to touch us. Because we're not talking about, okay, how do we just make everybody their own pope? Everybody gets to be their own. What did the papacy object to in the Reformation? You put them... Bible in the language of the people. Pretty soon people are making up their own mind. We can't have that. Now it's not that making up your own mind is the holy thing. What is, and that's the distinction here. I want you to not forget that. that. When we represent something from God to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not that it was viewed personally. Or you made the decision. There's no sanctity to your decision. There is sanctity to the message. But you need to, in making your decision, see that it is from God. And this is why Paul is astonished that people are so quickly deserting the grace of Jesus Christ. Not that there is another gospel, verse 7. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. The phrase is anathema sit. Let them be damned. He mentions it twice. Different gospel, damn you. 
This is that. And it's not merely everybody who has a gospel gets to look at anyone else's gospel and go, damn you. But with Paul's viewpoint about the gospel, this is not his group's gospel. His apostleship is not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ. We have in Christian circles, there, there, are the, there are the people that maybe publish small booklets about the second coming and put them on your church door handle, who believe that if you don't believe that particular eschatology, you're, you know, you're out. And then there are other people who want to have, they're all ecumenical, they're all latitudinarian. And you fall somewhere between that. You just, no matter what, um, sure, Buddhist worshippers of Elvis, we're kind of in the same boat. We all are spiritual. And that's not, obviously, something you want to be in fellowship with. Buddhist worshippers of Elvis don't share the gospel with us. But you will note that somewhere along the line, you're opening a door that says, okay, that's sufficiently gospel. And I know a lot of dear Christians that I believe believe the true gospel who have passed from death to life who think that things <coughs> that preach something entirely different are the gospel as well or good enough. Paul is astonished at this procedure that there's a different gospel that some he denies that there would be one. We know the word gospel comes from euangelion, good message. That's what it means, that these claims of good message. And it may be helpful for you to say, actually, what's the good message? If someone came up to you and said, you know, really, you know, we're all here for, to, you know, to, um, you know, talk about the good things that are, are coming. Eventually, you get, well, yeah, I like that. I'll go to a meeting with, with the good things are, are being talked about, the good things. Yeah, well, what are the good things? What are the good things talked about? It is so starkly different, the good things of God, the message of God is so starkly different in Paul's mind, he's astonished that someone who knows Jesus Christ would pick anything else up. He says, if anyone preached to you something different like this, because a lot of Christians when they fall for a different gospel, and I have some dear friends who, who have gone Greek Orthodox or something else, you know, and you go, uh, and somebody says, well, what, what's your view of them? I said, well, they're either apostate or they're really deceived. Apostate people look back at the faith and say, that's all wrong. Faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, not true. That won't save you. You've got to keep the rituals I would say that's apostate. You've rejected the gospel overtly. Other people think they can just put evangelical Christianity into Greek Orthodoxy and go to go play smells and bells for a while. And that's just deceived. That's not having a sufficient line. But Paul says the teachers of these gospels, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel different or contrary, let them be damned. And then he's, in case anybody goes, um, pastor, 
you know, hands on hips. I got to come up to me afterwards, put your hands on your hips. Do you think you ought to be speaking of other members of Christ? That way? Well, now if I was seeking the favor of men, am I now seeking the favor of men? Or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still pleasing men, I should not be a servant of Christ. As Paul knows the, the, that one of the standard ways that the false gospels exist in the church is the room everybody makes for them. First you're told, and this is true with moral depravity, this is true with, you watch what's going on in colleges. How did you go from, in eight years, I don't know if you remember eight years ago, we just elected uh, Obama, uh, and Obama had an opinion about uh, gay marriage. And it was none of it, not happening. By the end of eight years, it's happening. The president held a view eight years ago that you will lose your job for at the University of Idaho if you were to say it out loud. Simple, right? How did that happen? Well, they got you to make room. And this happens in Christianity too. We're supposed to ecumenically extend fellowship. But we here, there's no membership here, you know that. Say, so, well, you can't kick me out, Evan, I never joined. We're not trying to kick people out. We want people to understand what the gospel is. You need to understand what you have believed, what you haven't believed, so that you know where your fellowship exists. Because if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're welcome. But your fellowship with us is on, you might say, American politeness. That's the nature of the fellowship. To be fellowshipping in Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has to be present. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got to pick it up and go, this message, what was preached? What was said? What is this all about? What's... Why is Paul astonished and damning people left and right and, and saying, I don't care what you think? When he gets to that point, he says, am I ever like that? Do I ever say, you know, no, I might bother you some of here. Pick a famous... Uh, if I say something like, St. Francis of Assisi, damned eternally. <laughs> say that. Saint Francis of Assisi. Saint? I'm pretty sure Augustine was a Christian. Read his confessions, seems like he passed from death to life. His doctrine, you know, a horrifying train wreck. Not so sure about Saint Francis. <coughs> now, you say, I don't agree with you, Evan. I've read Saint Francis and I know that he actually expresses. Uh, the nature of Paul's gospel very clearly, well then we could argue. Yeah. But when we look at the gospel, we have to we have to put something down into the ground that says this is what it is and not codifying it. Not like All Souls Christian is going to say, well this is the gospel and all the other churches can literally go to hell. No. You have got to say, is the gospel that I have believed, verse 11, for I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not man's gospel. 
So yeah, when I ask you this morning, if that were a takeaway point, the gospel you believed, was it man's gospel? Well, you say, I didn't know the categories existed. Well, now the category exists. Paul wants to make a distinction between man's gospel the gospel he preaches. Something has happened in Paul. <coughs> you probably read some stories about Paul and Acts or wherever. Road to Damascus. Jesus meets him on the way. Convinces him. Didn't take much. But something happened to Paul. If you want to know if the gospel you preach, not just the gospel you preach, the gospel you believe and hold for salvation, is truly good news. What are the points of the good news that you're claiming in that? You can't just point at Mother Teresa in Calcutta and says because she functions under you know, some rough Catholic order and that's kind of Jesus-centered and she and doing good works. What just happened? Sacramental grace good work salvation but she's old and wrinkly you don't say damn, damn the old and wrinkly ladies who are giving up their lives in Calcutta to do good deeds yeah you probably don't want to at the next party you go to but do you believe she didn't know if she was saved and she was depressed I've talked to priests here in town who go are you going to heaven? I don't know. I don't know. Because you have to look at not church history. Not that the Roman Catholics were in charge for 1,400 years. They were wrong and in charge for 1,400 years. And people weren't being saved because the gospel wasn't preached. How it says in Romans 10, if... if how can they call upon him whom they've not believed? How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless a preacher is sent? As it is written, how blessed are the feet of those who preach the good news. What's the good news? Taking the Lord's Supper for the remission of sins temporarily? Doing penance temporarily for the remission of sins? And that's just one mistake. That's not the mistake that happens in Protestant circles. It's not man's gospel. What about the gospel you believed convinces you it is not from men or through men? So, well, someone preached to me, yeah, but what happened to you? Not the, not, not the doctrine. We're not talking about the words and what they mean. That's, that's key to it, but that's a different threat. The good news is merely the description of the moment of miracle that happened to you in Jesus Christ. When you believed and you called on the name of the Lord to be saved, he did or he didn't. And if he did, something happened to you. And when it happened to Paul, he went out and started contending with all of his old compadres in Judaism about Jesus being the Christ. And he had to be snuck out of town. And he says here, For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born had called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, and again I returned to Damascus. When you got saved, is the experience with the gospel such that your life has changed, the peace with God, the freedom from guilt, the confidence of life eternal, did you have to go get permission from heaven to talk about it to somebody? Heaven is not. You ought not. You want to talk about it. And sometimes, maybe with your family or something like that, mom and dad looking at you like, like we were uh, good Presbyterians without you showing up with this serious religion business. But they, uh, you know, they, they know that you came across pretty changed. Did you, did you change? Is, is this just a, a club you joined? It's not a club. What we're protecting, because of this damnable nature of preaching another gospel, is the gospel that is from God. What is the good news that we preach, that we live, that we have our life in, that we should stand as close to as possible, like Paul, so that we don't lead anyone astray? Do we know what that is? Conferring with flesh and blood. Not that it's wrong to talk to somebody. Paul does later in the passage. After three years, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was not known, still not known, by sight of the churches of Christ in Judea. They only heard it said, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. What is the point he's trying to make? I didn't talk to people. I didn't get this at seminary. As true as the seminary that St. Peter would run would tell him, and the gospel that was told to us down through the centuries was passed on verbally between men, uh, uh, people, Paul wants them to know that the gospel he preached was from God. It was crucial. He said, all that people knew was how changed I was. He says in another place, a little bit further on, that, that when he finally talks to the disciples, they didn't add anything to his gospel. They saw things the same way, because they both were preaching a message from God. They had traveled with Christ and walked with Christ, and he had told them, and the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, and they had the same gospel that Paul did through the road to Damascus experience, glorifying God because of the change that happens. This is the danger when a gospel or a fuzziness about the gospel approaches the Christian church. When, when accommodation starts to happen. Now, when you say, pastor was talking against accommodation, 
a lot of churches get into that little circle of hell of where you could get disciplined by the church. I don't know if you've been in churches where they discipline people. Hopefully for like real sin. But there's one in some churches, the charge of contumacy is a standard charge. Standard. I mean, I almost guess it every time I hear of church discipline in a church is because contumacy is given the elders back chat. When you don't agree with the pastor, you can get disciplined. Now, I would never attempt that because I think I might get beaten up. But you can disagree. I don't mind. You know, you give an answer before the Lord for your views on some day. But uh, people turn even the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if they got it right, they turn it into man's gospel. But we have a process. We have a process of accommodating, leaving room for things that don't save until people don't even know what's saved. They might be saved in their experience, but they, they wouldn't know if we handed out blue books and said, okay, no sermon this week, you're going to write out the gospel. If someone comes up to you and says, what must I do to be saved? This is what you're going to say. What are we going to get? Because I know people that were saved and then confused by the church about what transpired. My wife walked the aisle in a Baptist church and answered the correct questions from the follow-up person down front. She wasn't saved, but all of her Christian friends thought she was and the people at the church thought she was because she said the right answers to the right questions and had walked the aisle. She got saved a few weeks later. Having heard the gospel a few weeks later. She didn't hear the gospel the night she got saved. She just was emotional. But the truth of the gospel believed is, is salvation. Now, when we realize that we want a message from God, we know that we want a message from God that has the power of changing us. Not so that our club, you know, when you say, you know, James Madison wrote, what did James Madison write? Stuff. The Constitution. Stuff like that. Or Thomas Jefferson wrote the, what's the other one? Declaration of Independence. We have a country, you can, you know, you're talking to someone from, you know, Bulgaria or something. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote our uh, Declaration of Independence and James Madison. You know, you, you name drop. You know, when, when somebody um, forms your club, you want to make sure that everyone knows that that somebody wrote your, uh, wrote your bylaws. We want to be sure that God wrote ours. We want to be sure that men are not writing it because they have paths by which they walk you away in a way that even an apostolically taught church and group and evangelized people in Galatia are quickly walking to a different gospel. And we know what the one in Galatians was. The one in Galatians was you need to take on the laws of the Jews in order to be truly saved. Christianity is a path to law abiding. It's one of the standard things. People still believe it. And, and not just some weird groups. Just no normal 
We're, um, did you see the story on the news a week or so ago, two weeks? Some terrorist in a truck drove a truck across the grounds of something in Alabama and knocked over the Ten Commandments. Not the original, just a copy. Carved in stone, broke it. They're going to put it back up. They got a new one. And I imagine some Christians felt, hold it, man, you just don't do that. That's the Ten Commandments. Those are our rules. Oh, you don't want to knock. Jesus Christ, the grace of God through faith, not the law of the Jews, no matter how holy the law of the Jews is. The law is good and just and holy, says the scriptures. But our path to God's righteousness is not through the law. Christianity is called the new covenant. That's the argument Paul's having with the Galatians. Because the Jews are wanting to come in and say, unless you do this, circumcision, this, that, or the other thing. Man's gospel. Another one of the things that people do is they tend to look at it as confessional gospel, not power. That's popular in Protestant circles. They like to have everything worked out perfectly so that like writing contracts, they write a perfect contract and you can't get around this. We'll express the gospel perfectly. I wrote up a gospel as in a poster on the back in the narthex. Um, and it's not, I trust, not confessional. It's just trying to express it. But people who think it's confessional think that the reciting of the confession, the memorizing of the confession, rather than the power of the gospel itself, you accommodate a non-working gospel. One, if you tried to keep the law of the Jews, just like the law of the Jews was said, just like Peter says, neither we nor our fathers were able to bear it. We make them twice as fit for hell as we were. It's the absence of the change, absence of power. Don't let the truth of a clear statement of the gospel. So when I say, Jesus Christ died to save sinners, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified, buried, raised, to newness of life, ascended to be with the Father, that belief in him would give you forgiveness of sins and life eternal, and you can preach it. Or glory, if you're one for one of those churches. Don't turn that into a confession. The power of it. The power of the message, which is a wonderful message because of the power. It's a wonderful message because it's of God. And God is able to save you. We are saved by the power of God. This is not saved by my decision, saved by my chanting back the correct doctrine, signing on the, you know, the whatever it is the church has used for membership. Do you believe that Jesus is Yeah, I do. The power. Other things that will set you apart from the gospel... We try to avoid this here. We can't say we're always successful. Belonging to the church and its history. Where we loosen, and I've told people, 
You say, Evan, I, I sense that you have got something against the more sacramental expressions of Christendom. Greek Orthodoxy, you mentioned already, and kind of Roman Catholicism, you weren't a real big fan. It's not just because it's a different denomination. I love the Presbyterians, Lutherans, Anglicans, Charismatics. Not because they're more lovable than Roman Catholics or Greek Orthodox people. Some of my friends are Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic. The problem is, I can find the gospel in the Anglicans. I can't find the gospel in the Roman Catholics. Can't find the gospel. But when people say, what are you trying to say? I'm like, nobody was saved between 200 and 1500 AD. I said, well, it's possible, yeah, that no one be saved. Because how can they call on him whom they have not believed? How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless a preacher is sent? And if nobody is preaching the dang gospel, no one is getting saved. Now, probably some people were probably saw some scriptures kind of like Martin Luther did reading the scriptures. No, people didn't have access to the Bibles. They weren't walking around in Germany with a German Bible in the 1300s. There was a Latin Bible. And if you didn't know Latin, you didn't read it. And until the priest told you, you didn't hear it. But people are still surprised because they are so compelled by the doctrines of you might say, our chronology, as if the life of the church through history was the thing. It's not what makes it true. The power of God is what makes it true. The gospel you believe that forgave you of your sins is the same gospel St. Paul received in Damascus. It'll also be simplified for children. In other words, writing it more simply until it gets so vague that really anything will fit in there. There is not speaking clearly enough. I remember when Jimakata, it has to be said that way, claimed to be born again. The man might be a Christian. But he told said about how his sister, Ruth Carter Stapleton, I remember her, uh, preached the gospel to him and he became a Christian. Then somebody finally got around to asking Ruth Carter Stapleton what she believed the gospel was, and she said, actualizing your own potential. That, no, I don't know if that's the gospel she preached to Jimmy, but if Jimmy believed in actualizing his own potential, even if he was a Baptist, and he's a Baptist, and he does nice things, Habitat for Humanity, he does nice things. Awful president, but... Nice, thanks. I think he's a, a stand-up guy. But, if he believed that actualizing his potential was the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's damned eternally. Not for having believed the wrong thing, but not for, for not believing the right thing. We're all damned. We're all, by nature, children of wrath. Now, what I wanted to get to in this passage, I need to speak to this clearly, lest you uh, stomp your ears and rush upon me. Um, we see that Paul in this case when he says in Galatians 3 which is after this I have it on the side here O foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith the key is not the difference works of the law hearing with faith 
Because those are two obvious categories. Do I believe or do I work? Paul says, which, which of them came with power? Did you receive the Spirit by this or that? Not do you choose between faith and works. Did you receive the Spirit by faith or did you receive the Spirit by works? That's what you have to ask. It's not a man's gospel. It came into you in power. Now, Paul is on this throughout his letters. He stresses it here in Corinthians 15. I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preached to you the gospel, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believed in vain. And at the end, I cut the two verses out. He says, whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. The key was for Paul that the Gentile mission, which is what he was given to in God's saving of him as a Pharisee, he was given to this Gentile mission where election of the, uh, the Gentiles to salvation was available through faith. That was the big ticket shift in ancient world in the ancient world for Paul. Ephesians 3 on the uh, bottom of the right hand side. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Think of that. The mystery. As I have written briefly, when you could read this, you can when you read this, you could perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, this is the mystery. How Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles who do not have the law, the Gentiles who are not expected to keep the law, the Gentiles, just by faith, if they believe, the Galatian Gentiles, the Corinthian Gentiles, the Ephesian Gentiles, this was Paul's ministry. This is the gospel that was hidden for ages. This is the amazing thing. That when we step away from bowing the knee to Jesus Christ, and start to have it be church involvement, or historic church involvement, or tradition, or law abiding, or all the other things, we start to step away into Gospels that do not have the power to change. Of this Gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what you want to hang above your view of the gospel. Is this something that is introducing me to the unsearchable riches of the gospel? To make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So I want to have the power I want to have experienced the power through the faith, faith in Jesus Christ. I want to um, be growing in unsearchable things. That I want other men to see what is happening to me in Christ. That through the church, 
The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Our testimony in this gospel is supposed to be so powerful that it changes you, it changes men who look at it, and it changes the gods. The gods are going, that's the principalities and powers. The guys who are who used to oversee the world, like the prince of Rome or the prince of Greece, or the prince of Persia. Paul is wanting the gospel to lean into the state of the world and the state of the cosmology surrounding our world and correct it. A few verses earlier in Ephesians, it says, you know the passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. You need to go back to that passage and look at it. It is the gift of God. This is the power of God. This is the gospel of God. This is not the gospel of men. But because it is of God, it has to. It has to come with power. It has to come with, I've been changed. I don't cuss anymore. I don't, I love the believers. To make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages. Because we have these jobs to do, we have to testify to this, and we're not testifying to the historicity of the gospel we preach. We're not preaching some gospel post-Catholicism in 1500s. We're preaching the gospel that the apostles <laughs> saw in Christ Jesus and experienced in Christ Jesus. We have to be confident in him. Is your confidence such that you don't need to be told how it is tricked? Remember, Paul is in the first generation. He's got no 2,000 years of confidence that you can look back to famous names and famous saints and famous movements. He's got none of that. He's just got, I'm disagreeing with the rest of Judaism, and oh, my whole career is shot now, and they're going to hurt me, but I am not, and I haven't talked to anybody. I just know. God has told me. Whatever you might build in the, in the, you might say, in churchianity, whatever you might build, you just know the embarrassment of looking back at it. I'm just embarrassed about Sunday school growing up, you know. Flannel graph, that's bad enough. I, I, I can't wrap my head around that. But it doesn't look like the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God made known to the principalities and powers, is in people who have believed in Christ, in the things provided in the gospel. And God, because he was pleased with what you believed, because he looked on your faith, and he said, by grace are you saved through faith, it's not of your doing, I am going to regenerate you. You're going to pass from death to life. And that's the question we have to ask. Do we rest in God? Does this... Just you, not everybody else here, just you. Do you rest in God and the power of God to save in the gospel you've believed? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Your gospel has been good. We'd ask that we would be faithful to it, that the manifold wisdom of history, of how all men, being sinners, can have the gospel preached to them and be saved. Lord, we're grateful for the wonder of this message. We're grateful for the power of this message. Lord, keep us from being silly. In your son's name, amen.